Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On driver. Snyder with Scars. Now it's the bell score. Ball Rabel. Splits two and scores. Kylie Omar showing off those shifty skills and finishes that shot behind Liz Hogan. Kelly, not shy, bounces one home. What a start. Welcome everyone to Pro Lacrosse Talk. I'm Hutton, he's Adam, and together we are your main source for Pro Lacrosse news. Hello Pro Lacrosse fans, we're happy to have you for another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. I'm with my co-host Adam. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm good, Hutton, how are you? Doing great. A lot of great lacrosse games on this weekend. I was fortunate enough to go actually see one of them live in person. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, I went to Red Bull Arena for POL Week 2 on the Sunday game. Great game to be in the stands for. I heard it was even better to be watching from the NBC broadcast, so we'll go into that a little bit more. But let's first start out with our fast break segment. We'll go a little faster than we did the last weekend. Let's recap the scores from the weekend that was in pro lacrosse. So on Saturday with the PLL, we had the Whip Snakes, who are now 2-0, defeat the Chrome in overtime, 12-11. The Whip Snakes' second overtime win, and is the Chrome's second overtime loss, both having very different outcomes in overtime. Followed by that was the Archers, who are also undefeated, and they came back late in the fourth to defeat the Redwoods, 10-9. The Redwoods fall to 1-1. One and, one. and then on Sunday, we had the Chaos, who improved to 1-1 by defeating the Atlas by the score of 18-13. to 13. On the MLL side, we had the Outlaws on Saturday, who are now 2-1 after defeating the Blaze, 18-16. The Blaze are now 1-1. One one. On Sunday, the Cannons defeated the Rattlers by a score of 16-10. The Cannons are now 2-0, and, and they're undefeated. And the Rattlers are looking for their first win at 0-2. So that's our fast break. Now let's dive into my experience at Red Bull Arena. I was fortunate enough to attend the game on Sunday. I was able to watch the game from afar. Um, they put the fans this time on the one side, so that way the crowd looked a little bit bigger. They reported that it was around 3,000 that were there on Sunday. And they reported that in total 10,773 for the weekend. As you might know, um, Saturday's totals are counted twice because there are two games. So a little bit of number fudging there. Um, but I was actually surprised about the 3,000 number. It really didn't look like there was more than 2,000 there when I was there. And, you know, I did a rough estimate just calculating how many rows of seats were in the, the stands. Uh, I don't know. I think 3,000 was a little bit of a stretch. Maybe that's the ticket sales they got. But um, that's what I saw. You know, obviously they, they want a higher attendance. The attendance was a little low compared to the 13,500 in Boston. Um, but you and I both talked about how the, the venues so far haven't actually been in the best places. The venues themselves are great, um, don't get me wrong there, but they actually haven't been in the best of places. Um, you know, if you want to dive into that a little bit, Adam? Sure. We talked Foxborough kind of not technically in Boston, obviously, and kind of same thing goes with Red Bull Arena. It's definitely in New Jersey, not in New York, where it's a little more hustle and bustle. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing kind of going forward with a few of the, the places. Um, whether you're talking about championship weekend in Philly, which hopefully will be packed after, after the season and whatnot. But once you, once you hit to places like Columbus, um, and a few of the other areas, we'll, we'll see what the turnout is. I'm hoping for, 
Um, the second go around at Red Bull for the PLL semifinals, it'll get a little bit bigger of attendance. And obviously talking about what, what we see from the ratings, I bet a lot of people were initially watching uh, on TV. And hopefully as the season progresses, those numbers in the stands keep getting higher and higher. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. As you mentioned, you know, Red Bull Arena is actually in New Jersey. They obviously advertise that as New York. It's right outside New York City. But it's not, not that easy to get to either by car, um, a little bit easier by public transportation. But if you're living, you know, in Long Island, you're still looking at a 45-minute to an hour drive. And, you know, that's obviously yeah. where the predominantly the, the, the biggest um, group of lacrosse fans are. Um, and even Manhattan, you know, it's still more of a 20 to 30-minute commute, um, yeah. which isn't terrible. But, you know, it's in Harrison, New Jersey, which right across the water from Newark, which isn't the, the super best area. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I'm really interested to see what locations like Baltimore, which, you know, will be at Hopkins, Atlanta, which their stadium is a soccer stadium, but it's in, you know, much closer to the city. And uh, D.C., you know, is in the Navy Yard right near Nationals Park. So I'm much interested to see how those, uh, those places do, which they'll, they'll be coming up after Chicago. Um, so we'll get to see those how those venues do. But, you know, the attendance isn't bad. Um, I know th- th- it's been reported that the MLL's attendance has averaged around 3,600, I think, in the past. Um, you know, Denver kind of skews that a little bit because they're usually, you know, getting a crowd of 7,000 consistently. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Cannons did great their first week. They had 6,000 at their home opener. You know, so right now I think the community ties are showing to have a little bit more pool when it comes to a bigger crowd draw, you know, obviously people want to go see their home team. That is one disadvantage of doing the touring model, but the TV has also been a big point of emphasis. And that's one thing I'll say about the product that I saw live in person and what I saw on TV, because the product in person felt like I'm going to an MLO game. Crowd size wasn't that great. The fan fest was great. You know, don't get me wrong. The the fan experience is great. You have the players that aren't playing there during the fan fest, interacting with the fans. So it's it's a great experience. But you know, it's no Memorial Day weekend. They know that going into it. But on the flip side, I think if you look at the game live, it's an average product. When you watch it on TV, it's miles and miles ahead of the game. Really feels like a real professional sports broadcast. NBC's done a phenomenal job with the graphics, all the, you know, the different technology that they've had, shot speed, um, the in-person interviews. I mean, how was the game on NBC? What did you see from it on Sunday? Sure. Yeah, it's it's when comparing the two leagues, it's pretty much night and day um, in comparison to the the overall product. I I really enjoy watching the MLL games, obviously, um, on the stadium um, outlet and uh, as well as the ESPN3 outlet. But it just shows the, the money they're putting into it when it comes to the, the PLL from whether it's the stadium cam or the really unique shots they're getting from in close, um, whether that's a couple highlight real goals that we'll talk about um, probably in a little bit from the chaos game and, and a few other options. Um, but it, it's night and day. It looks like when, when you think of an NBC uh, telecast for Sunday night football or something like that, it, it's exactly the same. The opportunities to actually be able to talk to the players um, while they're on the field is pretty unique as well um, from the lacrosse side of things. So um, it's just well-produced, well-put-together, unique shots that we haven't seen in a lacrosse game before. And what's cool, too, is it's not really that just left-to-right shot you see um, on online college games or MLL games. They have that north-to-south feel as well from over top. So it, it's pretty unique, and we haven't seen it before. So 
that from that side of things, it's been fantastic so far. And we actually talked, obviously, about last week how they um, they didn't really censor a lot of it. This week, um, mm-hmm. I forgot to mention to you, they actually had uh, precursor warnings a couple times throughout the games on the the feed, not on the NBC feed, um, but on, on the NBC Gold. feed. Yep. Yeah, NBC Gold. They actually had some warnings um, when it came to that. So they they they've already. Um, tick that box off in terms of fixing something. So I think it's only going to get better from here. Mm-hmm. And that's all they needed too. You know, like we, we both said last week, we, we didn't want them to censor the players. You know, we like the raw emotion. But, you know, when you have young viewers, you just got to get that language advisory. So I think they, they did a good job addressing that. Like we said, the, the TV product has been stellar in terms of the production value. But are people watching it? And that's what I really wanted to know. And I was worried that we weren't going to really get any statistics to show that. But on Wednesday, Nielsen released the ratings. And on Showbuzz Daily, the numbers came down. And the Atlas Chaos game on Sunday got a .29 Nielsen rating. Connor Wilson of Lacrosse All-Stars was the first to report this on Wednesday. And to put that in perspective, .29 for people that don't really realize is decent. It's, it's a start. Connor Wilson did some research. And the 2019... Uh, NCAA championship finals for lacrosse was around about 0.2. The semis were a little bit below 0.2, but you know above a 0.1. 2015 was a 0.2. 2014 was around a 0.3, and 2013 was a 0.4. So we definitely had more success from lacrosse perspective, but 0.29, you know, for the first nationally televised game was great. And hopefully, you know, they'll get some momentum and, and keep going. They're not gargantuan numbers. I mean, for other sports, the NHL Finals gets around a three. Um, NBA Finals is above a seven. So we're not talking mega numbers here with a .29 Nielsen rating, but it's a start. That's going to be a really big thing that I know the PLL is going to be looking at because their, their deal with NBC is really dependent on how the ratings do. If the attendance is low, you know, that'll affect them in ticket sales a little bit, but the TV ratings is more important in terms of them getting their funding. So that will be definitely something we'll be watching. And I really want to see, too, what the subscribers' total is to NBC Gold because, you know, you definitely have people that watch through NBC Gold as well if they couldn't watch it on NBC. If people don't have access to to those channels, they can still watch on NBC Gold. So I'm interested to see what the subscriber totals are. Maybe we can do some digging to, you know, try to find that. Uh, Let's go into the games a little bit. I was there in person. Of all the games we've seen from PLL, you could say it was the worst of the the six, um, but it was still very entertaining. You know, this is a really fast-paced league, um, and I think the rules that they put in place really lend itself to that. So, Chaos rebounded after an OT loss last week, and I actually got to speak to Miles Jones after the game um, to hear what he said. So, let's let's take a listen to what he said about the game. So, Miles, just tell me a little bit about how you guys think you clicked today. Obviously, you're coming back off of a, a devastating overtime loss last week. Um, you clicked on all cylinders today. You know, won 18 to 13. What do you think really worked well for you guys today? You know, I think last week we learned a lot about ourselves. We know that, you know, in our circle, in that locker room, there's a, a great team in the making. Um, we know that we didn't put together a, a, a total game last week, and our first half really hurt us. Um, you know, we scored five goals in that third quarter in um, week one, and we put together a pretty good second half in order to come back. But the point of emphasis was the first half, you know, in the huddle before the game. You know, I, I challenge the team to, you know, play their best. I think that we just changed up our warm-up a little bit. You know, we came out, we were flying around in warm-ups. You know, that, that transited well to the beginning of the game, and obviously, you know, 
we put our we put our foot in the gas pedal in the first quarter. In the second quarter, came in the locker room, understood that it's, you know it's a game of runs and mm-hmm. it's a full it's a full um, you know forty eight minute game because we know what that's like to be you know the team that plays one, only one good half. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know we, we put our foot right back on the gas pedal as soon as we came out in the second half and that led us to victory. Yep. And uh, how has been playing in New Jersey? You know, we're outside New York City this weekend. Band, how was it different from Boston? And did you guys have any family here to watch you guys play? Yeah, I had a ton of family come, and it, it was great for you know my family to see me play live. And you know, right here at home, you know, had a couple coaches from high school come, um, and it, it was just a great venue. You know, Red Bull is you know a great venue for for lacrosse. You know, they put on a, a great show for us. You know, we we're very grateful for them letting us use their facility. But um, you know, playing in New York and close to New York has always been a, you know a big thing for me. Um, you know, anytime I get to come home and finally play in front of a home crowd is always exciting. Yeah, so they certainly had their foot on the gas for this one. After a, a quick eight-second Atlas goal by Ryan Brown, the chaos went on an eight-goal run, and that included two two-point goals from long-stick midi Matt Reese. They weren't phased at all, and, you know, the Atlas really never had an answer for them on defense. Connor Fields and, you know, Miles Thompson, both Albany products, they just... They were putting up highlight after highlight. I mean, they weren't just scoring goals. They were looking sexy when they were doing it. Miles Thompson with behind-the-back goal. Connor Fields only had two goals, and both of his were beautiful. One was, you know, underhand goal to the top corner, and then he had the one that got social media going with the fake pass behind the back to the lefty rip off-stick side from probably about 14 yards out. I mean, that in person was a beautiful goal to watch because I was right in line with it. That was great. And I think you kind of saw the Chaos got really comfortable running their style of offense. They're very creative. Um, but I got to say, the Atlas didn't really make them work too hard. The defense tended to get a little lost out there. You know, they're switching on picks, but then they, they try to get back with their matchups and leaving guides open. I want to give credit where credit was due to the Chaos. They were showed that they could score on six on six and from transition. But I really didn't feel like the Atlas made them work too hard. And, you know, once they went up 8-1, they never really looked back. So that that's kind of my thoughts on that. Um, I don't know if you had any other ones. You know, I they didn't seem to have anyone that could truly beat their man one-on-one. And whether that's a media attack, it just it just didn't seem like the offense was, was moving that much. And you, you got to say they scored 13 goals, which was the second highest on the weekend. So you, you can't say the offense didn't play well, but just didn't seem like they had that guy. Um, that that could be someone one on one, whether that was uh, Paul Rabel or anyone else on the squad. Yeah, no, I, I gotta agree. I mean, watching it, they look complacent. They're taking some low percentage shots from outside the arc. Paul Rabel and a bunch of the other stars are, are committing turnovers. You know, throwing errant passes, and the, their attack just didn't really work too well. You know, I, I I looked at the game again and. They only had three settled six-on-six goals where they really ran their offense, and they were all from, you know, Kieran McArdle, who had a hat trick in the game, you know, the lone bright spot. All the other goals were either transition, you know, they had one from Hartzell. They had a lot of transition goals that were just kind of found the chaos sleeping a little bit, found those gaps, um, which, you know, is definitely nice to see. They had a few more six-on-six goals. Cloutier had had two, but they were garbage goals, you know, after Blaze Reardon, who was phenomenal in gold. But, you know, he made some big saves, and... You know, they were just fortunate to ground balls a little scrappier right around the crease and put them away. But for the most part, it was, it was sloppy for the Atlas, and that's two weeks in a row. So they're really going to have to clean it up. Um, I mean, right now they're definitely looking like the worst team by far, but they have talent. So I, I don't know. they they got to go back to the drawing board and figure it out. You know, maybe they maybe they call up some guys um, on attack and, and try to find a different rhythm there. But it, it wasn't pretty from what I saw. Yeah, you know, and... And as, as much as we're ragging on them right now, there's 10 weeks of the regular season. We, we could 
kind of be talking a different story when it comes to next week. So it'll really be interesting to see what happens this weekend in Chicago, right? With, with the different options from games. The Atlas will play Chrome next weekend. And that they, they seem like really different teams just from a, a competitive level. But mm-hmm. at the same time, they're both at the bottom of the totem pole right now, even though Chrome have two losses as well. They were in overtime. So uh, we'll, we'll see really what happens next Sunday with that game. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, going off of that, on the flip side, you said you have the Chrome, who are also owned two. Um, you know, they've obviously played a little bit better. They've lost, you know, two close ones in overtime that could have gone their way. Tell me a little bit about the Whipsnakes Chrome game that we saw this weekend. Sure. No, super competitive battle. Obviously, two teams that went into OT um, in week one as well. Um, both times now, the Whipsnakes came out victorious while, while the Chrome. Not so much, unfortunately. This one had some pretty intriguing stories in Cage, John Galloway, Kyle Burnlore. Um, both played really exceptionally well th- throughout the game. Um, both had uh, over five saves within about the first 15 minutes of the game. So they, they played really well um, both ways. End of the first quarter, you probably saw there was a bit of a skirmish. Mm-hmm. Um, between the two squads, you, you, you've seen that a lot so far in the last two weeks. There's been a lot of a lot of chat and a lot of trash talk and and kind of the the refs breaking up a lot. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that play if you if you saw the replay. You know, I I think the Whip Snakes kind of play with a chip on their shoulder. You know, Jim Stagnina's group is you know mostly made up of Maryland players. Uh, you know, whether it be the the Terps or you know even some Towson guys. I think they they play a style that is kind of unique, and I think, I think that lends to them being you know, 2-0. And we'll talk about the Archers a little bit because they're another team that I think also have a unique style that is also, you know, they kind of found their identity. You know, we'll go back into Atlas, I think that's where they're struggling is they don't have an identity. The Whipsnakes play a very creative style on offense, and um, they're going to they're gonna beat you in the mouth a little bit, you know, defending. Uh, I think it was Drenner who got pushed into Galloway, and then they got a little, yep. get a little bit of a scuffle, and then Matt Rambo got some FaceTime, you know, getting his helmet taken off. You know, that, that draws interest. That's a storyline that you can follow in the game. That, that's good for the game. You don't want to see it turn into, you know, like hockey where they're, you're having full-on fist fights because that's, that's not something I want to see. But, you know, I like, I like them getting competitive. I like a little trash talk. That game, too, was fortunately enough the NBC Gold one, so we got it unfiltered. I, I liked it. What I saw, the Whip Snakes have been able to grind these games out. You know, they... They let the Chrome sneak back a little bit, you know, with Jordan Wolf, um, and he's always he's always going to be somebody you got to watch out for. He can just go off whenever whenever he wants. I, I like what I saw out of that game. Um, my favorite play had to be though the John Haas two point bouncer. I can't wait to see more two point bouncers, you know, because we've been seeing a lot of takes from beyond the arc. But uh, if you can get that bounce right, you know, you can see a lot a lot a lot of good goals like that. So and then on the flip side, you got the Chrome. You know, to tell me a little bit about what you saw from. From them, you know, they're, they're right there, but they just can't seem to get over the hump. Yeah, um, well, they definitely were succeeding at the, the face-off X, man. Uh, talk about someone who's kind of rose out of nowhere to start him is Connor Farrell. He was at 1.12 for 14 from the X, so um, they lost despite how successful they were from, from the face-off X. Like I said, John Galloway played an awesome game. You said Jordan Wolf finally had some of his signature moves from X to, to, to get a couple goals. So um, there were some big plays throughout this game. And, you know, I, it's unfortunate for, for, for the Chrome with this loss. But they – it just – when you look at the overtime period, I mean, three negatives right in a row. They had an unorganized clear, so that caused a turnover. 
um, from that. And then on the final goal from Drenner, they, they didn't switch on the slide and on the pick, resulting in that game winner for the Whip Snake. So, and in addition to that, they had 19 turnovers throughout the game. So if they kind of lower that turnover rate a little bit, work on some clears, I can see the wire tilting their way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know, Galloway hasn't played that bad in cage, but like you said, you know, it's, it's hard to win with 19 turnovers. Um, and it kind of negates, you know, the, the good work of Farrell on the, the face-off X. Um, you know, Connor, Spinal Tap Farrell, as I like to say. If you haven't seen the movie Spinal Tap, guys, check it out. Um, it's a hilarious mockumentary, and one of the lead band members has long blonde hair, so that's what makes me think of that, that and the Spinal Tap-inspired jerseys that the Chrome are wearing. But anyway, yeah, they're, they're still an exciting team to watch, and I know Dom Starza will get that group, you know, prepared for next week. So, I, I, you know, it'll be an interesting matchup to see them go up against the Atlas and now let's shift focus to the Archers versus the Redwoods because many people think these two are the best teams in the league. You know, they're right up there with the Whip Snakes, and um, I, I kind of have to agree with them. I, I love the Archers right now, what they're doing. I don't think there's a team that has greater chemistry on offense than them. I mean, you got, you know, Tom Schreiber at the midfield, and then, you know, attack Marcus Holman, Will Manny, even Kevin Rice, who's been a little bit quiet. From the scoring standpoint, Kevin Rice is still an integral part of that offense, and they're just scoring every which way. They've proven that they can dodge from the wings and create offense from there. You had you know a nice sweep goal from Schreiber, or they'll create offense from X. You know whether it's two man game or finding the open look on the crease. I mean they're just scoring all over the place. I think they they showed that they could really battle back because you know the Redwoods put together a four goal run at the end of that first half, um, but they didn't seem phased by it. They came out, got a goal quickly in the third period, battled their way back, and then it was Ben McIntosh, who had two goals within the final four minutes, one with a minute 37 left um, to give them the, the game winner. They're a team that I think plays like a team. Um, they play like they've been playing together for years, um, So, which is ironic because you have guys like the Chrome, all Duke guys, you know, obviously they didn't all play together, but... Um, a lot of them were on the Rattlers last year. Exactly, and they played a similar style, um, you know, at Duke. Whereas, you know, Marcus Holman's from UNC, Will Manny, UMass, you got these guys, you know, from di- different colleges. Um, but I think it helps, you know, they're, they're good friends. So, you know, them and, you know, Scott Ratliff and Adam Gittleman doing great things at the defensive side. Ratliff leads the, the league and calls turnovers with four. And Adam Gittleman, you know, had 14 saves on the day um, and a 60.8 save percentage. So, you know, they're getting it done on defense, too, which I think shows they're the most complete team. But you can't, you can't fault the Redwoods either. They, they, they showed a lot of promise too. I think the Redwoods tended to get a little bit too comfortable in their one-on-one matchups, and then when they weren't winning those, um, that's when they started to kind of falter a little bit. I mean, tell me what you saw from the Redwoods on Saturday. Yeah, it was, if you listen to uh, Kyle Harrison after the game, he, he was annoyed with how he played and how he shot, um, and they were – just like just like the previous game, they were really close and when it came down to the final score. I mean, no team led by more than two goals throughout the game. There were six ties and three lead changes. Um, so it was, it was a really competitive battle against two teams. Timmy Troutner and Cage played really well mm-hmm. two weeks in a row. Um, had a couple picks, three picks for a goalie, which is awesome. So um, tons of opportunities uh, to win this one for, for the Redwoods. Tough to see Serge Perkovich. Um, throw that one away at the end of the game when they had an opportunity to tie it late. Um, but really, really close game. They had their opportunities, and I think they're one of the top three teams kind of going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think they just got to figure it out a little bit on attack. You know, 
You have a lot of talent there with Matt Cavanaugh, Joey Sankey, Clark Peterson, and now, you know, Ryder Garnsey. Um, so if they can kind of figure it out on the attack, create offense from the, the from X, I think they, they can do a little bit better moving forward because a lot of their production came from, um, you know, Joe Walters had two goals winning his one-on-one matchups, and then Sergio Perkovic, obviously, you know, bulldodging people. You know, if you shut that down, you get a few stops there. It, we saw what happened, you know, Perkovic had that turnover and at the end of the game, and, and I think that's kind of where um, they kind of tend to break down. We'll, we'll see them, you know, next week, and I, I think they'll 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 definitely bounce back. Um, they're definitely, like I said, one of the top three teams I think right now. And, and we'll see. You know, the a big big kind of turning point was in the fourth quarter. Archers were four or five from the faceoff X. So mm-hmm. um, we'll see what Greg Beast has to say about that kind of going forward for next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen Kelly too getting another goal. I love it. I love those Fogos, you know, going down. That one was a that one was a lame duck shot. I just don't think Krautner was ready for it, you know. Um, so yeah, no, um, definitely some exciting things to watch going forward from the PLL. So let's transition now to the MLL. We only had two games this weekend, but we were fortunate enough to see some history with the Outlaws Blaze game. Tell me a little bit about what happened in that game. Sure. Yeah, John Grant Jr. became the all-time points leader um, with his assist. Uh, in the second quarter uh, to Kavanaugh's brother, who's also uh, now, who's now playing for the Redwoods. Brendan Kavanaugh is now playing um, for the Outlaw. Um, On his goal, John Grant Jr. passed PLL founder Paul Rabel's record, who ironically broke that record last year uh, in week nine against the now defunct Florida launch. So he's now on top of the leaderboards again for all-time points after he came out of retirement. Uh, We kind of talked a little bit about that last week, whether um, what his reasons for coming out of retirement to break that record were. Um, But this was a high-powered offensive battle between the two squads. You know, Zach Courier had another awesome game. Shane Jackson for um, the Blaze. Yeah, five goals and two assists for Shane Jackson. Yep. The Outlaw have three of the top six uh, point leaders currently after two weeks for for uh, the MLL. So between Shane Jackson, Tommy Palasek, who combined for 13 points uh, in this one, it, it was an awesome game to watch. High-powered offense um, on both sides. And despite having an under 50% save percentage for the game, Dylan Ward, uh, Played played really really well in in cage for for the outlaw. So got was able to get the W for them with some late uh, late saves in the fourth quarter to solidify that victory. So awesome game to watch. Awesome game. Mm-hmm. I think these two teams are um, you know obviously have a few defensive shortcomings, but I think they're going to be the offenses to watch. Uh, you know, in the MLL, obviously you still got the Bayhawks, which are great. You know, led by. Um, Steel Stanwick and uh, Lyle Thompson, but these two offenses are, you know, showing a lot of creativity as well. I mean, Shane Jackson's one goal was behind the back, some beautiful plays on offense. So yeah, definitely, definitely some teams to watch. And and I think it was a more high-powered game this time around because these teams had just played each other the week prior, so they kind of had each other figured out on defense. So I think that kind of, you know, lends itself to, uh, you know, the 34 goals that were scored in this game. Great game. Uh, congrats to John Grant Jr. on the career points for the MLL, and he'll definitely be adding some more as the season progresses. Yeah, it'll, it'll be fun to see uh, when he – you know it's going to happen. He's going to be the first player in MLL history to get to 600 points, which will be mm-hmm. pretty cool. That, that, that's a, a, another monument to, that, that he'll be able to, to get to at some point. Yep. So then we'll 
that takes us to our uh, final MLL game, Cans at Rattlers. Um, this game in the first half, man, was just a snooze fest. It was all, it was all cannons. Um, they got up to an 8 nothing lead, and they just never really looked back. Kyle Jackson was the leading goal scorer. He had four. Mark Cockerton was a little bit um, quiet today. He only had two goals compared to a six-goal performance from week one. But, you know, the Cannons, I think, are the real deal on offense. I don't think they've played the best opponents so far. You know, I think the Lizards are a solid team, and they, they just barely beat them 13-12 to last week. Um, and then the Rattlers, I think, again, just a team that's kind of a little lost without their stars that were on the team last year that are now playing in the PLL. Um, they're a young team. Um, but it was nice to see Jack Kern score his first three goals of 2019. So that was kind of nice to see. And rookie Jake Seau, you know, Junior Seau's son, scored his first MLL goal for the Rattlers too. They were down eight nothing. They could have just, you know, mailed it in, and they ended up losing 16 to 10. So um, kudos to them for at least grinding back a little bit. But this game was really never in doubt for the Cannons. Yeah, and Mark Cockerton was kind of quiet, as you said, but it seemed like the Rattler defense was, was making a really strong effort to not allow him to have the goal. They unfortunately didn't do a good job with the rest of the players on the field stopping them. So it, w- it was a tough one to watch. I watched the first half. It was it was rough to watch. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how uh, the Rattlers go forward after this to kind of kind of get their season back on the on the right foot. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, well, that concludes our MLL recap. Um, there's no WPLL games this week, and obviously NLL is in the off season. So that's going to really wrap up our podcast. But before we go, let's do a little bit of overtime. Um, what are you looking forward to most this coming weekend? I, I think I just chatted a little bit that, about that already. I'm really looking forward to Sunday's matchup against the Chrome and the Atlas, two teams that have significantly different outcomes but the same results after two weeks for PLL two teams that are going to be hungry to get back on um, that horse and, and get a win under their belt um, one team's going to go into week four not having a victory um, mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see um, I'd probably obviously take the chrome going if we were if we we're doing a, a poll before for that game but the league's super comparable from, from team to team and Despite of how they played this week, I can see the outlets coming out victorious as well. So I'm most looking forward to that Sunday PLL game, Chrome Atlas. Yep, and I'm, I'm going to take the flip side, and I'm looking forward to the Whip Snakes versus the Archers, you know, battle of the two undefeateds. Uh, one's going to get handed their first loss. The other's going to, you know, go to 3-0. and They have the strongest identity on offense, both those teams, so I think that's going to be something to watch. I'm really looking forward to seeing... You know, the Archers, again, I, I think they're right now my favorite team to watch. But, you know, the Whipsnakes, they, they grind out these games, you know. They, they like to play close, I think, and they've, they've come away with two overtime victories. So I think we're in for a great matchup between those two teams. So that's what I'm looking forward to the most. So that concludes our Pro Lacrosse Talk podcast. This has been Episode 2. Uh, I'm Hutton. He's Adam. Join us next week, and we hope you enjoy the lacrosse games coming up this weekend.